Welcome to the Tech Podcast. Join us as we discuss highly relevant and compelling acquisition topics with highly esteemed industry professionals and attempt to share information with you, the 1102 workforce, program officials, and our contractor friends. We hope that you find our topics and discussions helpful and enjoy this episode of Tech Talks. Welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Tech Podcast. My name is Mark Junda. Uh, Service Division Director at the Technology Acquisition Center. As always, we have an exciting episode for you all today that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Over the last few years, the trend in all the conference circuits has been innovation in acquisition. With all the attention that innovation has been getting, we've really noticed an appetite for taking some risks and trying new methods. Sometimes on the conference circuit, you tend to get more of a summary and some superficial detail of what innovative technique was accomplished which is often appropriate for that forum. However, this morning we want to go beyond just highlighting some of the methods, as if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely familiar with the more innovative evaluation methods, such as in-person design demonstrations, virtual demonstrations, or multi-step advisory evaluations. In this podcast, we have three CEOs that have been a part of a number of these innovative evaluations. And we want to provide some feedback and best practices to help both the vendor community as well as government officials. So with that, I'll introduce our guests today. First, we have Josh Cohen in Josh's tenure as a CEO. He has worked a number of innovative evaluation techniques frequently with our digital service partners within OINT and those within the uh, VACTO's office. Second, we have Juan Canones. Juan is a veteran CEO and has worked a number of these acquisitions. He also works a number of high visibility acquisitions throughout the tech. Finally, we have Kevin Monahan, another veteran CEO who has worked these evaluations with the digital service team also, but also with uh, other customers throughout VA, which is an important step as we scale these techniques. Before we get moving, I do just want to caveat this discussion that as we give feedback and lessons learned, each acquisition is unique. Government officials must make judgments on each of their unique actions and tailor them to their needs. Similarly, vendors must be aware of the unique considerations within the RFP they are responding to. We definitely don't want to lead anyone astray as we discuss things in this episode. So let's get started. I don't want to spend too much time going through an overview of a technique, but just to level set, um, Kevin, can you just give us a, um, a high-level summary of an advisory multi-step evaluation? Absolutely. Again, my name is Kevin Monahan. Thanks for having me. Um, so again, multi-step advisory, we take the form of um, normally two steps. The first step would be an initial technical submission, and this technical submission can come in the form of a case study submission or an abbreviated technical approach to a use case. Those submissions are then evaluated and result in an advisory notification to the offers. So they're, again, they're evaluated. We typically would use a confidence rating for those, and we would advise the offers whether they, we feel based on their initial submission, whether they're a viable competitor or not. And then would it be at that point where the decision is up to them whether they wish to proceed to the next step of the evaluation. And typically the next step of the evaluation would be another technical factor, as well as if you choose to have past performance and price. So again, it's just that the multi-step is an initial submission that allows a, a, a more of an informal sort of case study that's evaluated um, and results in an advisory notification to offers. All right. So they get the advisory, they uh, uh, notification, they decide whether to continue with the acquisition. 
per the advisement or not continue per the advisement, but uh, it is up to the, the vendor uh, to make that decision. And then uh, we would go to a step two, which would be the larger evaluation, as you said. So um, that's kind of um, you know the process we typically follow with these. So let's just walk through now and uh, kind of talk from the government perspective, from a vendor perspective, things to be aware of, some considerations to have. Um, Josh, you've done a number of these recently. So just speaking to the, the upfront um, advisory uh, factor that we often uh, use confidence ratings for, what are some things from a government perspective to consider? Thank you, Mark. And uh, again, uh, thank you for, for having me be a part of this. Uh, so as Kevin just mentioned, the advisory step is, is meant to be um, somewhat of a lightweight key. So kind of the first and main thing to keep uh, in mind as you're developing uh, a case study or an advisory step uh, to proceed a longer step, uh, like a demo or something that's a little more time consuming, um, is to make sure that the first step is likely, both for the vendor in the sense that it's something that can be somewhat quickly put together, um, as well as for the government that it's something that can be quickly evaluated. Um, there's... Um, a need as well, though, to make sure that it is meaningful. So I think that's the balance you're trying to strike is between making it um, kind of lightweight, but also that it's something that you really get some some meat out of. Um, and again, I think to further that point, we've often asked for um, a set of artifacts or or some kind of basically proof to back up the story you've told in the case study. So I think the next consideration um, in terms of making sure it's logistically simple is also to make sure that you can kind of validate, since it is simple, that you can validate what's in it. And again, our main way of doing that has been through artifacts. Uh, so for instance, if you're telling a case study about a user-centered design session you did, and that, that is really the story you're telling in that case, um, we may ask for some of the design artifacts that would normally be expected, um, something that you know they can pull together fairly quickly because it's work they've done and, and would assumedly have on hand. And again, an easy thing for us to look at and validate um, you know, and makes makes for a good gate. So but those would probably be the main considerations um, and not to get too caught down into the logistics or trying to make it more than um, it's supposed to be. Uh, again, making sure you kind of leave those more logistically challenging steps for the for the step two. Yeah, I, I do agree from what we've seen. We want to make it um, uh, worthwhile, but lightweight so that vendors, when after they go through it, they don't feel like they've expended so much that uh, they might as well just continue. Um, and also for the government, uh, you're adding a step. So uh, we don't want it to take too much time for the upfront step, essentially elongating the entire process. So yeah, two uh, very good points with that. Uh, what else? What are some other government considerations? So, so I would say another consideration that you would want to utilize this if you're if you're really expecting to do or want to to do demos in the next phase, or you're expecting a very complex sort of tech factor two and you're also expecting to potentially have a lot of bidders, then doing the, the upfront initial tech submission allows you, you know, to, to, to kind of a light lift upfront, evaluate, and then advise offers. And typically you would be able to pare down the number of offers that are moving on to, to step two. So it could save time upfront. Um, and then when you move on to step two, you would, could likely have um, less offers that move forward which makes then doing ITDs obviously be very difficult to do technical demonstrations when you're talking, you know, 20 some odd offers. So um, if you can have this initial step, you might be able to get it down to a more reasonable number. Yeah, it, it needs to be an effective mechanism to reduce the pool going into that. Um, it, so in, in doing so, it must be uh, fairly heavily weighted on the back end, the ultimate best value decision, because if it's not considered or, or lightly 
weighted, no matter what rating a vendor gets, they might decide to stay in because it probably won't hurt them too much later on in the uh, best value decision. So it, it should be weighted pretty heavily as to serve as a good deterrent for them not to continue. Um, I actually, we, we published a case study, which um, the listeners can find on, um, on the TechFAR hub or acquisition gateway. But uh, in 2009, or FY19, we did uh, um, four of these types of acquisitions and uh, we ran the numbers. And out of those four acquisitions, we had 21 total step one submissions. So figure that's the case studies. So 21 vendors responded across the four acquisitions. Uh, 13 of those 21 were advised to withdraw from the competition uh, based on upfront evaluation. And then 12 actually did withdraw. So it did serve as an effective deterrent to not move forward. Uh, One remained in the competition. Uh, that vendor did not end up winning that competition. But uh, the numbers do bear out that if it is a considerable uh, factor that um, vendors will take the advisement seriously and potentially not move on. So uh, that's that's a number of considerations from a government perspective. You know, the, the average contracting out officer out there listening to this uh, definitely has a number of things to uh, consider. And um, you guys did a good job uh, summarizing those. But from a vendor perspective, what are some things to consider when doing the uh, advisory two-step. Sure, why don't I, I take the first uh, stab at that one. Um, so, so one thing I would um, keep very much in mind, and this kind of goes throughout the steps uh, that we discuss on, on the, uh, moving forward on this, on this podcast, that like even a written or any traditional uh, evaluation method, s- stick to what the evaluation plan is asking for, for what the, the solicitation is specifically asking for. Um, and in, as in respect to a case study, I think stay focused on what the case study was to represent. It, it's not necessarily that you are being asked to write, you know, what would be a long form agile uh, process or a long term, you know, 40 page type proposal. And, and don't try to take that and squeeze it into three pages. That's rarely what we're asking for. We're asking for one story um, that can increase the government's confidence that you actually know how to do the work the way the PWS is requiring you to do it. And we are usually going to try to pick something somewhat focused to look at, and the case studies are meant to be that. So we'll allow you to discuss any part of your Agile process in most cases, but try to focus on one, do a good job of walking through the steps and pick artifacts that specifically back that up, as opposed to trying to turn it into like everything good about our Agile process in one case study. I think we end up getting kind of generic responses and, and we can tell that that's what you're trying to do. And, and you'd, you'd probably be better just focusing it a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. Just obviously make sure you understand the instructions as with any solicitation, know exactly what you're being asked to present within the case study and exactly how it's being evaluated. Um, and any, you know, any stipulations in terms of the case study, sometimes there's, if you're going to have a case study from a proposed subcontractor, you obviously want to. You need to, you need to ensure that that proposed contractor is going to be part of your team moving forward, or else you know there could be language in the solicitation that you could be disqualified. So that's all considerations you got to um, you know, have up front. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we've seen it also, and Josh, you kind of alluded to it, where uh, the artifacts don't necessarily match that three-page narrative they give. Um, so you definitely want the artifacts to support the case study. Um, and then just also considerations and knowing the solicitation really well of exactly what would qualify as an artifact and 
Um, I know typically, and every solicitation is going to be different, but typically you want the actual artifact from the project that they're citing and not creating new artifacts to show uh, anything. Uh, historically, we wouldn't have accepted that. So just knowing those things um, about what would qualify as an artifact, what, what wouldn't, and uh, definitely everything that you guys said. Well, good. So that would be uh, the, the first phase of the multi-step advisory process. So at this point, we would, the government would evaluate and provide the ratings back to the vendors and they'd be notified whether you're among the most highly rated and uh, it's our advisement that you either continue or do not continue with the procurement. If uh, we advise you continue or you determine you want to continue regardless, um, at that point, uh, you would be on the hook to submit the remainder of your volumes in all likelihood and uh, what we've done on the second phase is we've had on-site demonstrations or virtual demonstrations as the next step. So let's do the same thing. Let's walk through uh, from a government perspective, the average you know, contracting officer out there, if they're going to do these demonstrations, what are some considerations they should have doing on-site, in-person, or uh, virtual demonstrations? Yeah, I guess I'll start. I mean, a lot of doing demos all starts with, you know, what what your requirement is a lot of the demonstrations we do we want them to present their agile process so obviously you know if you if you have an acquisition where you want to see where they're going to be um executing agile software development i mean you might want to consider doing demos because it allows you the whole show me don't tell me aspect of it you can actually get them in a room and actually see how they are how they execute their agile processes and what a critical aspect of that from the evaluator standpoint is to make sure you have that experience on the evaluation team that knows exactly you know what they're looking at within within a demo that includes people that know um you know the coding aspect of it all the way down to you know being a scrum master so make sure you have an experienced set of an evaluators that know exactly what they're looking at in an itd so certainly for for on sites i would say um lo logistical challenges of schedules um and i think the the you know the case study really originated out of the um need for us to have a step to get to a demonstration which from a just just a scheduling perspective can be very difficult the minute you have more than five demos to do you are into another week um, and if you're not all from the same place and people are traveling uh, even the vendors as well i mean those logistical challenges are on both sides that can be very challenging um, and not to say that it, it doesn't mean you can't do it when you do have more proposals but um, so certainly in those cases you'd want to have the case studies um, or some form of cut down so that you're not stuck doing 25 of those. I mean, uh, you, you could spend a month on it. Um, and to that same point, we try to do the technical evaluations as soon as the um, demos are done or, you know, at least whiteboard, you know, general consensus on some points so that we can document it in real time, make sure everybody remembers the details correctly, meaning that it's probably going to be hard to do more of these in one day, more than one of these in a day. Um, and as a result, you know, those logistical challenges become that much more complicated. So really think through if you're like, well, we'll just keep doing three or four a day, you know, that's a 10 or 12, 14 hour day, depending on how long the demos are. So just really think through all of that before you you just jump in and, and start dropping things into a solicitation. And I would say there's a lot of thought, you know, leading into demos and, and putting together, you know, the scenario, making sure you have a scenario that you're that's going to elicit um that approach you're, you're hoping to evaluate within the confines of a two or four hour demo. Um, you also got to, you know, the considerations for who are, who are going to be your stakeholders. Typically there's, there'd be a few um, government resources in the room that act as the stakeholders, the actors. One, you know, could be the user, 
might be a veteran, whoever that is, and, and one could be the product owner. And, and those are the folks that the vendors are going to need to engage with, um, you know, from a user-centered design aspect and, and from understanding the requirements, prioritizing the requirements. So that's all critical leading up to a demo to make sure you're, you're able to come up with the, the right scenario and, 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 and determine who the, the, the right stakeholders are going to be um, that the vendors are going to engage with. And again, that's in a fictitious role, right? So they're they're really playing those fictitious characters. So it's just something to consider as you're as you're preparing to do a demo. Right. So a number of uh, uh, good advice on on-site demos, but uh, especially as we uh, endure COVID-19 right now, um, the on-site demos probably were were limited, and being able to execute those, so we might be moving more to virtual demos. Uh, Juan, I know you've done some virtual demos. Any any feedback on how to execute the virtual demo as well? Sure, yeah. Josh talked to some of the logistical uh, considerations you have to give on the face-to-face. And while virtual won't alleviate all of them, uh, it certainly does alleviate some of the the travel, the booking of meeting spaces. Um, Can you cram more into a day? Perhaps not. You know, you still need the time to run the the demo. You still need uh, time in between to do your technical evaluations, to huddle uh, while it's fresh. So um, in terms of the, the day-to-day, you know, um, it may not uh, alleviate how many you can can get done. Consideration should be given to the platform being used. Some hiccups that I've encountered and uh, experienced the hard way is that we've set up meetings for these virtual demos and did not test for it. When it came time to do the demo, the vendors had problems uh, getting on to the Zoom or to whatever platform we're, we're using, uh, be it because the government has some restrictions on it. So I would think uh, put a little bit of planning. So again, while virtual uh, demos might alleviate some concerns, there is uh, prep work that needs to be done. What I would recommend to that point is to do some some live testing, maybe take the time the day before or a few days before. If you're deciding to use your own platform to put it out there and make it available and get some feedback from the industry folks, or another option you can take is to leave it up to the vendor to, you know, and make it part of their responsibility to set up the meeting and, uh, that way, you, it's more likely that you'll be able to connect to their platform than have them connect to yours. Good feedback. Um, okay, so that's uh, kind of from the government perspective, how to do on-site or virtual demonstrations in this phase. Uh, what about from the vendor side? What do you, what, what advice would you give vendors um, going into this phase of the acquisition evaluation? Um, I, this, I would obviously start by, again, going back to making sure you understand the instructions for the demo, really, you know, getting a good feel for at least the information that is within the solicitation, what's being evaluated. Um, you know, a lot of times you're not presented with a, the scenario for a demo until you, the day of, whether it be in person or, or virtual. But, uh, you know, typically there obviously is going to be some information in the solicitation about the demo, what's being evaluated, how it's being evaluated. So make sure you have a really good feel for that and using that to determine who the appropriate team would be to bring to the demo. Um, I think it's definitely a critical consideration. Yeah, I, I know we've seen, typically we limit the number of vendors that can show up to these demonstrations uh, for good reason and uh, utilizing someone who um, maybe can't execute the demo well uh, would would probably be a waste of that spot. So uh, yeah, definitely be careful who you bring, who you identify to bring on that team. 
Uh, what about you, Josh? Any any thoughts? Tying together what I think Juan and Kevin were just talking about in terms of uh, government responsibilities going into a demo like this is is not only does the vendor have to be careful with who they pick, so does the government. Um, if and I would say this is probably the number one limitation to doing these. I mean, just specifically the demo step um, is the need to have people that really know what they're looking at. I mean, if, if you're going to bring user-centered design experts into a room, really high-end vendors to do a specific thing, you really have to make sure you have a value. You owe it to them to have evaluators in the room that, that can recognize what is being done right and, and not just get like pulled into that. So I, I think if you're a CO and someone's suggesting this, I think the first question should be, what do you want to evaluate and are you a subject matter expert in it? Um, and again, I think to Kevin's point, that would be the, the first consideration of vendors as well, is to have that same conversation on, you know, are you a, a capture manager or are you a center design expert? And, and what are we trying to get out of this demo and who should we bring? Um, uh, uh, to that same point in terms of who you bring, I, I think is also what you do. So what you spend your time doing in the room should also specifically align with the solicitation. Again, this goes for both off-site and in-site demonstrations. The the uh, government is usually pretty clear, either in the solicitation or in the kind of use case challenge document you're given, um, on exactly what it wants to see for the two or three hours it's seeing. And, and I have not always found that. Uh, I think sometimes vendors come up with a preconceived idea of like, well, here's what we're going to talk about. And maybe that's not what we hand you when you walk in. And I would say immediately abandon the plans and focus on what we asked to see. If we asked to see coding be done for four hours, a, a discussion of your last uh, you know, 10 projects, which may all be good information to have, isn't what we wanted to spend the two hours doing, and that's not what we asked for. So, again, a big focus on really reading what we asked for, reading it through before you start. I know that sounds like a basic thing, but just making sure you understand what you have to have for us at the end. I feel like that's not always there. Sometimes that's something we want you to define. So when do you define that during the process? And, and was it clear to us while we were watching that you were all walking towards a common goal and doing the same thing? So. Um, that would be my my next consideration for uh, for vendors. I'll just reinforce two two things too that Josh just said and and speak specific specifically to um, the virtual demos. I do feel like it's uh, it could be more likely that you fall into that marketing uh, trap when you're when you're on the phone or when you're on a, a video conference than when you're in the room. So I would try to stay away from that as, as, as much as possible. And, and like Josh said, kind of get to the point and uh, specifically get to the point that the government is uh, requesting. So uh, pay attention to the criteria that you're supposed to be talking to any technical elements that you're supposed to be talking to and, and specifically uh, address those uh, with as little fluff as possible. And I, I know those are two kind of traditional fundamental recommendations, but they hold true in any kind of uh, government um, acquisition and in, in virtual demos, face-to-face -face demos, or what have you. Well, great, Juan. Uh, great points. Um, so uh, I think all these considerations are definitely important, and we could continue to go on for a while longer as we sort through the process and highlight successes and pitfalls that we have encountered. I'm sure as we continue down this path, we'll continue to learn more and more. I do, again, just want to highlight in closing that this isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. The evaluation into two steps can potentially elongate the process if the upfront advisory step isn't effective or your vendor pool is very small. Uh, you must determine that the time savings from evaluating fewer vendors in step two is worth investing all the time in the step one. Otherwise, you're just elongating your evaluation time, potentially. 
uh, referencing the case study I cited earlier, in the four actions that we looked at from FY19, we calculated the time savings from evaluating fewer vendors in step two and found that even considering the elongated two-step evaluation, we still saved 44 days of effort. So it did work effectively in our cases. Um, if you need specifics on this process, if you want to look at our RFQ or RFP documents and kind of get more into the details, I do invite you to look at the case studies that we've posted. I believe they're on the TechFAR Hub and the Acquisition Gateway. So I think uh, this does it for our episode of Tech Talks. Thank you, Kevin, Juan, and Josh for spending the time with us today. And thank you all listeners for joining us. And uh, I wish you all the best. As always, we must remind you, the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media, products, or services they may provide. We thank you for listening to this episode of Tech Talks and hope you found it helpful. You may direct any questions or feedback to Mark Junda at mark.junda at va.gov. Until next time, my friends, may our contracting officers be given wide latitude to exercise business judgment. May program officials successfully manage contracts to deliver goods and services to our veterans and the American people. And may our contractors support our needs and be prosperous. <laughs>